Get, get, get ready. Get ready for a dose of internet marketing strategy and tactics from the makers of the best digital marketing toolset, Mondovo.com. Mondovo.com. Here, we tell you how to uncomplicate your marketing endeavors and find success online. Let's get digital marketing simplified. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining another great episode of Mondovo 101. My name is Bala, and I would be your host. Today, we are going to talk to a person whom I personally admire for his thoughts and beliefs. He's a software engineer, he's an inventor, he's an angel investor, writer, speaker, and I can keep on going with that. Of course, he has co-founded three companies, including the web development agency project, Ricochet. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Casey Cog. Casey, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. It's nice to meet you. Fantastic. Thanks for, the, thanks for having me on. Very good. It's a pleasure uh, that you, know, you have taken some time and joining us uh, today. Uh, so, you know, the introduction, whatever I have given the case is just a small part. I know there's a lot of things behind that particular thing. Could you tell our uh, audience, uh, you know, something about yourself and where you started and the whole story? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, just r related to Ricochet or, or uh, beyond that? So Ricochet is the agency. So right. um, I think that's kind of what you're focused on, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. So um, I had just sold one of my previous companies mm -hmm. and I've been doing... You know, freelance web development since I was in high school, mm -hmm. and my uh, business partner, mm -hmm. um, who at the time was just a friend from college, we went to college together. He was also doing freelancing, and uh, I was looking for a new opportunity. And uh, we we decided that um, you know, with his passion for uh, elegant technical solutions and my passion for business, and kind of the crossover between um, our excitement for for the opportunities for the web and, and development at the time. Uh, that we could work to make an agency rather than just, you know, two dudes in an office uh, slanging out code. So um, we started slowly adding to our team and, and taking on work and incrementally uh, increasing. And um, now we're uh, at about 25 people, uh, so including admin staff and, and some part-timers. And um, but uh, it's it's really really exciting to. To be, uh, you know, involved in 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 seeing something grow from, you know, the very inception when you have a belief that you can make something bigger than yourself, and then to uh, actually execute on that with a really great team. Perfect. Uh, very good. So when did you all started? Which year? Um, so it must have been around 2010 or so. I want to say maybe maybe even 2009, like the tail end of 2009. Oh, wow, cool. So how many employees right now? Yeah. Uh, so we're like I said, we're at a team a, a team of twenty five, and um, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, it's a it's a lot of a lot of personalities, a lot of a lot of really talented folks. Very good. I, I didn't notice that. You know, a lot of pretty I mean, pretty interesting way you have actually put your new website like for everybody's profile and the way they've been interested into. And uh, now, um, when when I was kind of looking into your website, like uh, you know, I understood like you you are into web development agency, doing a lot of stuff there. Especially your projects are pretty different. And one thing I particularly noticed that is the entrepreneur package that you have. Okay, which yeah. nobody else has kind of got that, and I want to know more about it. What is that? Yeah. So, so this this to me um, is a really important. It's something that that's very near and dear to my heart. So when somebody comes up with an idea for something, I think it's it's really tempting to you know, kind of get sucked into that narrative that I've got this idea, it's going to be amazing, I'm going to mortgage my house, I'm going to go all in, and I am going to, you know, become a billionaire, right? And that that almost never happens. And so um, what the Entrepreneur Package is, is a, a, the opportunity for us to help, you know, in an unbiased, impartial way, 
us to help folks who have an idea develop that idea, understand the cost implications of that idea. And I think um, you know one of the big things that our agency is all about is the 80% solution. So you're familiar about with the 80-20 rule? Absolutely, Pareto's rule. So, yeah. Yes. So if you can if you can get the 80% solution, you're going to be able to get it on 20% of the cost, right? So if you potentially had a budget of 100 grand, and you were able to find the 80% solution, you could get that for 20 grand, or likewise, $10,000, you could get it for $2,000, mm. and that doesn't always involve software development. Um, you know, like I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Four Hour Work Week. Mm -hmm. Tim Ferriss, and, yes. So, yeah, so mm. so that book's not about working four hours a week, right? That that book's about working 80 hours a week, and then uh, and then you know, kind of like Tim Ferriss did, and then kind of figuring out how to build an organization to work less, right? Keeping that perspective. But, you know, he took those lessons of him doing that and then says, well, how can you get the 80% solution and maybe not um, work as hard, right? I don't know that you're going to make a billion dollar business from his principles, but there's ways that you can uh, go a little further. So, uh, for example, you know, what he says in that book is, you know, rather than launching a whole e-commerce store, if you have a product idea, why not launch a page where you drive traffic to it and see what your customer acquisition cost is. And if that customer acquisition cost, if the economics of that makes sense, then maybe you'd go to the, ne the next step. So I think oftentimes talking with a web development agency, we work with folks all the time who are doing this, um, like actual full-on development. It can become a little bit like the, you know, the, the, the crocodile telling the rabbit to jump in his mouth to cross the river, right? Like it's, a, it's kind of a dangerous thing because it's in their best interest to make a really big project. And what, what we want to uh, kind of help people with is realizing that they can do this with very little money and then they can test the waters and they can pivot very early to achieve what their ultimate objection is, uh, objective is. And that might not require any web development. It might require some very minimal testing um, with a, a platform like Unbounce or um, you know, an Optimizely uh, A-B test or something like that. Pretty Does that make sense? That perfectly makes sense. So you kind of help them to develop the initial prototype and see how it is actually working. Pretty much the lean startup model. And, yeah, uh, exactly. And uh, test your assumptions and, and validate and all that stuff. And pretty much go with it and it works. Take the next step and proceed on further. Pretty interesting. Yeah. So you have a lot of entrepreneurs already signed up for that particular project? Uh, we have worked with people uh, in the past to, to help. I mean, oftentimes it's kind of, it kind of crosses over because we do this as a part of our regular web development as well. We help lay out the costs. We don't do it as in depth of like potentially trying to invalidate their assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we've worked with a number of people for, for, for helping them um, you know, pivot on their ideas before they sink a bunch of cash into it. And that's pretty nice, Casey, because you know, not many organizations who help them, help the entrepreneurs, especially on this particular area, they yeah. try and they come up with the ideas and they say, this is what we want. And the agency start building up. They don't know whether that's going to succeed, not succeed, but you're there. Helping them exactly yeah. what they want to be doing. I don't, I've, you know, Bob, I've never seen a project end the way that the folks at the beginning thought it was going to. It always changes, always. And sometimes it changes, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't pivot or change in time. Um, sometimes it does. But through, you know, taking into account a few very uh, simple principles at the very beginning, you can dramatically increase the, the uh, potential success of, of, a, of, an, of a venture. Absolutely, absolutely makes sense. Uh, very good. So that is one of the packages that you give, and apart from that, you also work with most of the open source environment. You know, for, for yep. especially for the development side of it. Uh, so 
you know just take us through how do you kind of uh, you know expanded your business since 2010 till today you know what are the process you kind of go and acquire new business and get new leads and other other things yeah so um a large percentage of our business is is referral and organic uh you know traffic so we spend a lot of energy and time learning about search engine optimization um we get leads from our website we also uh look for other departments within our clients we have some you know pretty large clients and and you know at a fortune a fortune uh 100 companies you know they they have a lot of other departments that need help um and we work really hard to build a good reputation um as advisors and uh engineers to where we do get referred within organizations i mean we've had single organizations where we've gotten maybe even 20 30 projects mm-hmm. out of you know a single engagement so wow. you know our reputation is really important um one of the reasons i like to be at the size that we're at is that we don't have to have a gigantic business development machine um grinding away pulling in leads that are maybe not uh, the most mm-hmm. optimal for us so we do have a business development person that was actually a new development for uh 2016 as a part of our uh, 2016 plan um he's doing great and really that was an effort to take a lot of the work off of me because i was able to handle the job but i wasn't able to it was it was making me um focus on some things that i think weren't the most optimal things for me to be focusing on like i could be focusing on our product development and um you know uh, optimizing our actual organization to make it more efficient and make it a happier place to work so um you know but we're also networking we're going to trade shows we're doing all the standard stuff that you would expect and and we've just grown you know we've hired as we've grown and you know we're at the size we want to be now so um we don't have to try to grow anymore which is it takes a real burden off of your shoulders when you're not trying to always be growing and always dealing with the growing pains um of learning how to deal with your new size yeah. essentially very good pretty interesting uh, so uh, you do the development part alone or you kind of do the post development part in terms of like promoting that particular site or the app or anything that you kind of develop for that on the real marketing side uh, of the business You mean once they've developed it actually doing the the marketing as well? Yeah. So we will consult on um growth hacking strategies and marketing strategies. Um we can help with some of that stuff. Um it's probably not our core uh business. Mm-hmm. So um you know oftentimes you know th- there's a lot of resources out there that you can use to know. I mean there's maybe 13 things that you can do and I think there's a book um uh tra- traction or getting traction with your ideas or something it was written yeah. by uh the guy who who, who did duck duck uh go go oh, uh, yeah mm-hmm. privacy search engine yes. i mean there there all those things are laid out there right all you got to do is execute on those things and oftentimes that's what entrepreneurs are doing right they're already doing those things so they're out moving and shaking and and making that stuff happen so um aside from consulting on link building strategies or you know leveraging social media Um a lot of that stuff is some is something that 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 those entrepreneurs are actually implementing. We just help them uh help get the resources in front of them. Perfect. Fantastic. Okay. Now let's talk about the most important thing like of course uh, when I looked into your site and you know kind of gotten deep with where you are and what you're doing that's why I kind of accidentally came into that accidental evil that you kind of spoke yeah. about. Pretty interesting. I'm a big fan of what you actually wrote there in that article. Let's yeah, let's kind of you. talk about that. What is accidental evil and uh, tell us take us through that. Yeah, so um yeah, there's a number there's a number of things that I think illustrate this and it's basically a phenomenon that happens because people are really bad at looking really long term. Like really smart people look long term, but 
Uh, when people are very busy, which is, I think, more and more kind of a symptom of our age with Slack notifications popping up and smartphones uh, giving us email alerts, we get even, uh, our, our mental space gets gobbled up and we lose patience and it, we lose our ability to look even long-term, right? Mm -hmm. We're just looking short-term. We're dealing with the short-term uh, solution. And I guess, you know, two, two um, things happened to me. One was kind of just an observation over many years and one was a really profound thing that just kind of blew up my mind. First one was dealing with clients when everybody's running around, you know, like a madman trying to keep everything going. They would oftentimes get confronted with problems and the solution that would be put in place would just, you know, if you imagine a weed growing up in your front yard, they would just chop off enough to make the weed go away, right? But the root remained and then it would grow back and then they would put another short-term solution, but just chop off the top. And we would deal with that for years and nobody would ever go, you know, just an inch deeper to get out the root. It's not that much extra work, right? You're already bending down. You're already getting your fingers dirty. Why not just stick a screwdriver in there and pull out the, the actual root, right? But people don't have the time to do that because it is a little bit more time and they don't have the energy. So uh, they deal with this tax that they pay year after year after year for this problem. And I thought that was really fascinating because when you, um, nobody would ever take that big perspective into mind, but they could have potentially solved the same problem 10 times. And when you took the time that they spent on that, they spent, you know, 100x what they could have spent if they had just done it, you know, at the root at the very beginning. But I think more succinctly, where I had kind of the epiphany moment, I have a tenant or a, a condo here in, in the Bay Area that we rent out. And my tenant called me and said, hey, we've got a, um, we've got a garbage disposal that needs to be replaced. And I said, okay, well, let me come down and take a look. And um, I asked him what was happening, and he said that when he starts the garbage disposal, all the stuff on the countertop basically shakes off. I mean, the toaster, the microwave, everything falls on the ground. I was like, wow, that seems really dramatic, right? So um, sure enough, that's what happened. And I looked underneath, and underneath the sink, there's a little ring that holds that garbage disposal up to the, the, the drain. Mm -hmm. And I don't know anything about garbage disposals, right? But I just reached under there, and I tightened that garbage disposal a, um, a, a quarter inch, right? just a tiny amount. And when I flipped on the switch, everything hummed perfectly. Now, if you think about the two, like I had my epiphany moment because I thought about the two possible paths that I could have gone down, right? I could have got somebody down there to fix it and it probably would have cost me five, six, seven hundred dollars to get a new garbage disposal and get it repaired, maybe even a thousand. I don't know how much garbage disposals are. But the alternative was slowing down and looking at the root cause of the problem and ignoring the fact that it is an old garbage disposal, but just saying like, how, how can we optimize this small thing? And you know, tweaking that ring cost me no energy, no time, and it, it, it was a better solution. Mm. So when you think about an organization, it's tempting to come into an organization and see all this shaking everywhere and think we need to get a new CEO in here and fire everybody and get a whole new team in here. But oftentimes, you know, it's really just these tiny little things that need to be tweaked and optimized. And an organization is even worse because shaking in an organization shakes other rings in the organization and other rings. And then you get this compounding exponential effect that is really, really deadly. And um, so, so that, that to me, I'm, I'm a, a, I, I read a lot and I read a lot about organizational theory and management. And I feel that at Ricochet, we do a few very basic, actually at all of my companies, we do some very basic practices that prevent that garbage disposal ring from ever getting loose. And when it does, we just tighten that rather than 
tossing the whole thing out. Or even worse, what a lot of folks do is they just bury their head in the sand and hope it goes away. Mm. Um, I can give you two examples that are that are more relevant to the day to day. I think for for listeners. Perfect. Um, the first one is something very specific to agency work. I think is uh, we have a QA cycle. So mm. developers start. We use Jira, which is a software uh, project management tool. Mm-hmm. We have a very um, a very granular flow. So tickets move from to do to in progress to potentially blocked or pull request review status, and then from there they get approved. They move to QA, and then QA, they go to stage, and then they get user acceptance testing from the client, and they move to ready for production, and then they go to production. So one of my developers came up to me and said, hey, Casey, this is in our one-on-one. So we spend every week with everybody on our, in our company to um, talk, give them 10 minutes for them to talk about what is important for them, 10 minutes for the manager to talk about what's important for him, and, and my partner and I are the managers, and then 10 minutes for their growth, right? So in that one-on-one, um, the developer said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I had to work late last night because there were maybe seven or eight tickets that we had done. They went to QA. They didn't get QA'd until the last minute before the demo. And then they got reopened for some, some, you know, some reason. And then now I've got to scramble to get these things ready for the demo tomorrow. And they could have been QA'd three, four days ago, right? It was a two-week sprint. Why did these have to wait until the day before to get done? Mm. And the reality is that the QA person isn't thinking about uh, the impact on the developer, right? They're just, they're busy with work too. They're not thinking, I mean, it's possible that they could have changed their behavior ever so slightly. Like they just picked a random order of tickets. They could have prioritized ones that uh, have a sprint coming up ahead of the ones that don't and changed, you know, that, that developer wouldn't have worked late, right? We would have gotten the stuff done more quickly and, and maybe more thoroughly because we could have potentially done a couple rounds of back and forth before it went to the demo. But instead, we end up in a scramble all the time. And as a leader, it was up to me to say, wow, that's a problem because it happens all the time, right? And how can we solve this problem? And we had a discussion about, uh, we do a lot of metrics at Ricochet. How can we track the velocity and the momentum? And that we came up with three metrics that track the health of a sprint. Uh-huh. And then we can track these and see when sprints are having problems. And then I can give the team feedback on how to adjust their behavior to have a more efficient outcome. Or the organization can change because it's possible that we're doing things as leaders that are causing people to behave in this way, right? Like maybe, and in fact, we found this. We didn't have enough QA people, right? So we were forcing one person to do way too much work. And so by giving somebody the opportunity to bring this up, we were able to uncover a lot of problems in our company that didn't require much work. And in fact, more QA people brings more revenue for the company, right? Like, it's a no-brainer. But we just weren't thinking about that because nobody was thinking about it, right? So the other example that I think is even is is really dramatic is I have a, a Volkswagen Touareg <laughs> uh, SUV, and every time I get in this thing, I don't know if this is other models. I just know my model, but I imagine it's for all Volkswagens. When I get in it, the navigation system. Um, when I go to uh, do the voice navigation, I say, you know, I want to go to this place, and it says, okay. What city do you want to go to? And I say, Oakland. And it says, which Oakland do you mean? Do you mean Oakland, New York, or Oakland, Virginia, or Oakland, uh, you know, uh, Washington? It goes all the way down. I have to paginate twice to get to Oakland. Now, the moment I press the pagination button, it pops up and says, hey, don't, don't type while you're driving, right? And then so I have to click that. And then I finally find Oakland, California, which is literally five miles away, right? And then, I, and then it lets me continue. Now. That might seem like a minor deal, 
But I would be willing to bet, Bala, that people have been run over while somebody is distracted dealing with this pagination on the car. Because mm. the reason they're using hands-free and voice uh, navigation is because they are driving, right? So if you back up, when the developer was developing this, this, this navigation, he probably had two options, right? He, he could sort by, it was, just a, it was just a SQL query, right? It's like, select all the cities that sound like what this person said mm. and sort by, I don't know, alphabetical, right? So they sort by alphabetical. And that ends up playing, making everybody look for, paginate for the city, right? It would be very easy. It's a GPS tool. I, I imagine it wouldn't take more than a couple extra hours of development, if even that. It might have taken one minute of extra development to just sort by geolocation, right? Sort by distance. That's what makes the most sense. And in fact, my buddy works at Tesla, and he said that's what Tesla does, right? Uh -huh. I mean, it's not that hard to do that. And it was a decision that somebody made at some point. And since then, like I said, I would be willing to bet that people have been run over and gotten into really horrible accidents. People have probably died as a result of that decision. And that's kind of the crux of accidental evil is at the beginning, somebody could have made a slightly different decision based on a slightly larger perspective and could have changed countless people's lives or your own life in the long run um, through that decision. It was no extra cost, but it had a dramatically extra or, or dramatically uh, more negative impact in the world. Does that all make sense? I know I'm, I'm giving a bunch of kind of wide-ranging examples. <laughs> no, no, this is very, very perfect examples here. Now, one thing what is very interesting uh, when you're talking about accidental evil, okay, and also I have one particular point uh, which I really wanted to talk to you about was uh, you literally focused on those areas like uh, if, if that particular point was kind of taken care of, you know, probably the future thing or the future rings that's going to be affected can be resolved. But that's seeing the negative side of the business or negative side of the uh, whole environment or the scenario. Okay. Now, the same thing if you have to put it in the positive side of it. Now, imagine okay. everything has been said, done and looked into a most positive way. Do you think that we'll miss this particular opportunity or is it, a, is it entirely a different way to look into it? Uh, you mean by looking at, you mean the inverse of accidental evil or you mean like an organization that practices uh, avoiding it, like their impact or how, how maybe, maybe you could clarify a little bit. Uh, if the whole organization kind of sees every activity that they do in the most positive way, okay, uh -huh. and when they kind of do it, potentially we could avoid these, uh, you know, the, the rings that you're kind of talking about, the accidental evils that people kind of do yeah. it, okay? That's because, you know, there's some kind of negativity that kind of led them to this particular area, which gave the future effect. Yeah. What if we kind of uh, help people to, you know, some kind of a, you know, s program that kind of gives the positive vibes uh, so that we avoid this in the very first oh, place? Yeah, uh, yeah and, of course. And, and, and that's what I want to do, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying is, you know, there are a couple things that you can you can do to avoid accidental evil, and they're not that hard uh -huh. in reality. Um, so if organizations can practice those things, it's kind of hard though, because I mean, it's 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 not hard to do them, but it's hard organizationally to slow down sometimes. And there's a there's a um, a quote in Spanish mm -hmm. that translates to "I go slowly so that I can go quickly," right? Instead of running around with the chicken with your head cut off. Um, there are some activities that you can do that will reduce your overall cost to the organization. And like I said, one-on-ones uh, -on -ones are one thing that you can do, mm -hmm. right? So I was just telling you how we do that with everybody in our team. Um, that lets you catch things very early in your organization because really what it comes down to, I, I have a hard, one of the things that accidental evil or the concept of accidental evil is not 
it's not a humanitarian um, philosophy, although it can have that impact. I'm not saying we should avoid accidental <coughs> evil because it's um, necessarily because it's better for people. I'm saying very concretely that your costs are lower. Your turnover is lower. Um, people are happier so they don't quit as frequently and they make better products. There's a very concrete bottom line to this. It's just good business to do these things. Um, so it's not just, you know, I think we should be fluffy because I think it's a good thing, right? It's a, it's a, it's a business um, philosophy. But, you know, the other thing that you can do is create a culture of feedback, um, you know, making it so that people don't feel like they have to wait until they just can't take it anymore and then they explode to, to give somebody some insight into their perspective, right? At Ricochet, we do feedback all day, every day. It's very minor. It takes literally five seconds. Um, uh, and then the last thing is coaching. So when somebody on your team is not doing so well or you know, just needs some help, how can we help you know, with love, uh, coach them and bring them, uh, bring them up basically in line with what the expectations of the organization are rather than saying if you don't do it, you're fired or just waiting and then you know, conveniently needing to lay people off who are those people who you, you, you're concerned about rather than helping to coach them and grow. And so this, these are all ideas that I got from uh, a podcast and actually they're, they're management consultants, they've written books, um, managertools.com. Uh, I learned this, I, I found this very early in my career and it kind of changed the whole trajectory of everything that I was doing. When I, when I see businesses that I invest in, I look for opportunities where there is accidental evil happening. And then I put these things in, in place and then the organization thrives and flourishes and becomes worth a lot more. So it, it's a really powerful tool. There are other things that you can do too. Like I'm a big proponent of uh, the DISC personality assessment tool. Um, we use this at our company. Mm -hmm. uh, all the companies that I'm involved in, we use this. It's a really powerful tool for gaining perspective and understanding other people's, um, where they're coming from and in, 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 in the way that they approach their life and their work and their behavior. Um, it's a tool for empathy, right? There's all sorts of things that you can do to do this. Um, and in the case of the, the, the navigation system, you know, I suspect that the engineer who was using it or that was programming just never used it, right? He probably doesn't even have a Volkswagen. So he didn't even think, right? It didn't pass the basic usability test on the road. And how could he be expected to make these decisions if he's not actually using the stuff and being out there and iterating on it? I'm really surprised that they haven't changed that. You know, I have a 2012 Touareg. I mean, it's been four or five years. How have they not changed that? I, I, it baffles me. But mm -hmm. you know, it's not it's not Volkswagen's problem. Nobody, it's not a big enough deal to complain about. So they've probably never gotten the feedback, and therefore they don't ever change it, right? So that's in a, in and of itself is a way of a, a type of accidental evil. The machine just doesn't care. It's not in, on their radar, really. Um, whereas if it was, they would have a much more usable tool. Brilliant, brilliant. That's that's a pretty interesting uh, way you kind of see the whole management perspective. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, from what I understand is like it, everything you do in a very process and systematic way, trying to avoid any accidental level, that, that's kind of good for the employees uh, who's in the agency and also most importantly the clients uh, who are actually working with you because they are going to get things, you know, the perfect way, the way yeah. you know, in time, the quality stuff, whatever it has to be, they were expecting and you're kind of really matching it out there. Could you kind of take us quickly on the steps that uh, when you have to implement a project, say a web development or an app development, uh, what is that you do from the starting to the beginning and what kind of project uh, or process that you kind of go through it? Can you kind of take us through? Yeah, so, so for web development projects, I think the most important thing is for everybody to get on the same page because <coughs> when people, you know, oftentimes 
when people pay for either our entrepreneur package or a paid discovery, we tell them exactly how much everything's going to cost based on data, right? We actually create user stories with acceptance criteria and we estimate on those and we give them a, a very concrete estimate about how much things are going to cost. And we have some tools that we've developed that will show them if they're on track because we do time and materials work. But we give them some really powerful tools to stay on track for adjusting their expectations, making compromises, allowing us to recommend things that are kind of the 80% solution rather than the 100% solution. Um, if they don't do that, we start off with a ballpark estimate that we just say, okay, that sounds like it's going to be $100,000, right? And when we start the project, though, we now have to get into the nitty-gritty. Like, what exactly are we going to be doing here? So we go through our discovery process at the beginning of a project, had we not done that as a paid discovery um, to start, and we'll create all the user stories for everything that they're expecting. We talk about all the acceptance criteria for every single thing that they want. What exactly do you mean when you say, you know, you need to be able to sign in with your, uh, you know, LDAP, right? Or uh, when you need to, when you need a logout button, what exactly does that mean? Like, where is it going to be? How is that going to play out? So we lay all that stuff out, and then we have a planning poker, you know, agile style. We'll all get on a call together. Um, and you know, go through and the development teams puts out what they think the complexity of each ticket is. And then our tool effectively bundles all that up and says, well, here's what your project's gonna cost then. It adds in project management time, technical review, uh, deployment overhead, QA, all as a percentage of the total. And at that point, the client can say, okay, I thought that this was gonna be $100,000, but it turns out that it's gonna be $150,000 based on what I've been saying, right? Okay, no problem. So how can we together work together to adjust expectations, maybe uh, icebox some features or put some things in a second priority to get to where we can get it down to $100,000? Mm -hmm. um, and then as we're going, you know, we get a week into it, two weeks into it, a month into it, are we still targeting $100,000, right? If we're not, let's have a discussion. We've had situations where we've come in and you know, a $50,000 project now is projected to be $20,000, mm -hmm. right? It, 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 it got cheaper as we went along. And why was that? Because we were able to make some, uh, some suggestions to the client that were the 80% solution. They were able to accept those compromises and suddenly a ton of work that we thought we were gonna have to do, we don't have to do anymore, right? So they got an extra 30 grand that they could apply anywhere in their company, either to this project or other projects, or they could just pocket that as a budget surplus. And we thought that that was a great success. So that's the first step. Everybody get on the same page so that we're not starting thinking we have a, a ton of money in our budget and then we end. We get to the end and go, oh crap, we're all out of money. Uh, what are we going to do? Which happens way too often in this business, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. When when those things, you know, when you do all these things, clients do make mistakes. What are the common mistakes those um, clients normally make? Yeah. So the I think the biggest mistake that clients make, and, and if we didn't have the tools to reinforce this, we would make too. And I call it the bag of M and M analogy. So. Um, when you get well, a, a, a family-sized bag of M&Ms, right, okay. peanut M&Ms, mm -hmm. you've got so many M&Ms, you're just eating these things by the handful. When somebody asks you for, for one, you give them a whole handful, right? You're wealthy, M&M wealthy, right? Um, but as you start getting down to the bottom of that bag of M&Ms, you naturally start to savor each one a little bit more, right? Uh, directly proportional to how few you have. Mm -hmm. Once you see scarcity, then you start behaving differently. When somebody asks for some, you give them one, right? Or maybe you say, nope, I'm gonna keep them all for myself. I'm really hungry, right? That's how web development projects go. When we start a project and we see a $100,000 budget or a million dollar budget or whatever, 
Um, we think we've got this giant bag of M&Ms. We can be wasteful with it. Oh, you have this new idea? Sure, let's do it. Hmm. Let's pull this thing in. Oh, this isn't exactly how you expected? No problem. We'll send it back to the development and we'll iterate on it, right? But the reality is when we started this project, we were already behind the ball, right? Um, if you do that kind of stuff, you are going to set your project up for failure, um, either for us letting it happen or the, the, the client thinking that it's okay to do that stuff because we have so much money and nobody's even pushing back because the agency doesn't even know it, right? They don't have any tools to tell them how this is gonna change things from a budgetary perspective. They're looking at it from a micro perspective, right? They're saying, um, you know, I'm looking at this one ticket and I'm not thinking about the overall impact. And the only time they think about the overall impact is when they do a, a, a report on burn and they send it out to the client saying, hey, you spent 50 grand out of your $100,000 budget. Well, are we 50% done? I don't know. Nobody knows. And in fact, it's impossible to know because the last 50% of the project, the client could just suddenly start coming up with all sorts of rounds of revision, right? That 50% could stretch to 500%. So to me, this is accidental evil too. We need to, as, as a service provider, be able to communicate the impacts of the decisions that everybody's making. We need to be partners in this. Just like if an electrician came to your house and you were doing some electrical work, you wouldn't expect them to, when you thought you had a blown fuse, to rewire the whole building and then come and say, yeah, you owe me 10,000 bucks. Like you'd be like, what? I thought this was gonna cost me $100, right? Like, how is it this? I would have liked for you to tell me whether I needed to do this, like what it was gonna cost, because maybe I don't care about that light that didn't turn on in that room, right? Like I can just get a battery LED or something. It's not worth 10 grand to me, right? We need to be able to give people the, the, the data that they need to make these kinds of value decisions. And I think, you know, clients keeping that in mind and finding a service provider that can give them that information, which is incredibly rare. Hmm. I've never met anybody who's able to do it the way that Ricochet is able to do it. Um, but just knowing that if you keep coming up with stuff to, to change and tweak as, you, as your idea evolves, which it always will, then you are potentially creating a situation where the agency or the development team is going to lose their shirt and then they suddenly start cutting corners right to get out of the project and then you've got this kind of pile of of uh, unusable code that's going to bite you because it's got so much tech debt in it that you don't even know but it, at least it meets the statement of work so they're done with the contract right nobody wants that and i i guess that that's it in a nutshell is like every decision that everybody makes has implications right okay. and um if both sides are mindful of that and hold each other accountable projects will be more successful. Brilliantly said. Very good. Fantastic. Uh, okay. Uh, talking about the uh, clients that, you know, they make mistakes. Of course, you know, employees in an organization, in an agency, they also make some mistakes, you know, sometimes uh, taking, uh, not understanding certain things properly or not understanding the expectations correctly or entirely, it could be anything else. What are the common things that you, s you have seen, like employees making mistake in an, in an organization? Okay, so um, that's a pretty big, big, pretty big question. I could talk for hours about that, but um, I guess I guess a couple things. So the first thing is when we're we're very process oriented at Ricochet. Every ticket um, needs to have an estimate. It needs to have acceptance criteria, um, and it needs to have a user story. Right? The user story is as a you know user role. I need something so that some business value is delivered, right? Like those three pieces are really important. Okay. Um, the biggest mistake I see from a development perspective is not having one of those three things on a ticket before somebody starts. Because if you think about this, 
if you don't have a user story and you don't know what the business value is, how could you really develop a, a, a thoughtful solution for this problem, right? Because clients do this all the time and development teams do this all the time. They say the user story is make this table with these columns, right? That's not a user story. That's somebody prescribing a solution. But it's possible we're paying developers to be thoughtful and considerate engineers. So if we lay out the problem for them, they can architect a better solution that may not be what we originally thought was going to be the solution, right? So uh, in the rush, they will start tickets without user stories if they're pushed too hard. But what I say is, nope, you've got to have a user story. And the moment that they start work on a ticket without a user story, our admin team jumps on them and says, what's going on here? Right? This is a big deal. It's not a big deal in the micro, but in the macro, it's a big deal. Next thing is acceptance criteria. If you don't know exactly what the client wants, how could you start this ticket? Right? Like You guys had some conversation a month ago, and you think you knew what they wanted, but they've probably already changed their mind since then. The, the fundamentals of the, the reason they were asking for that have changed, um, and you don't even really remember it that well. So it's highly likely that it's going to get reopened when you demo it to the client, because they're going to say, this isn't what I want. Right? So it's tempting for us to always just say, yeah, I get it. Let me just do it. Right? And so how we battle that is we look at the reopened rate on tickets. Mm -hmm. So we say, you know, um, um, so if you don't have it, if the developer doesn't have know exactly what they want, um, the client wants, it's highly likely that this is going to get, you know, not accepted by the client. So um, from, from my perspective, every ticket needs to have very clear acceptance criteria. And we actually track our development team's reopen rate. We look at the average across the entire company, and then we look at each individual developer, and if they're higher than average, then we have some discussions about what are you doing that's causing these tickets to get reopened over and over again. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's that they didn't have clear acceptance criteria. They, they started development without a very clear understanding of what was gonna happen, right? So the last thing that's really important is the estimate. So have you ever heard of Parkinson's Law? Right, yes. So the work, the amount of work that something takes is going to expand mm. to how much you've allocated to it. Mm. If I tell you that I've got this really tough solution, that there's a really tough problem, and you've got 40 hours to work on it, you're going to be like, great, I'm going to build something really amazing that's going to be an amazing solution. Uh, if I tell you that you've got one hour to do it, you're going to say, oh, well, we could do this, but we might have to do it in this way or this way or this way. right? That is going to start the creative process, is if you can be held accountable to the amount of time that something is going to take. So in a planning poker, we gain a consensus. People can argue whether it's going to be a big job or a small job or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when you get a ticket that you may not have even estimated on, and you see that it's estimated to be a, a three-point uh, 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 ticket, then you're like, oh, I was thinking this was going to be a 13-pointer. So I better go talk with somebody, whoever estimated on this, to figure out what they were thinking because otherwise I could easily see this taking forever. And they might say, oh man, didn't you know about that open source package that you could use? And it makes all this, this whole thing easy, right? That's how we deliver value to our clients by holding each other accountable to our estimates. So this is not an agile philosophy. This is actually cheating in agile, but I think it's really, really important because otherwise people will take a lot longer to do stuff. And then it becomes really hard to be competitive and be profitable at the same time. So, those are three things that, from a development perspective, that are really important. I would say the last thing that's really important that, that employees m make a mistake of is um, being okay with things seeming unfair or kind of crappy, right? Like, that's not, you should, if you're working at a company and you feel like you're not engaged in your work and you don't feel like you have autonomy and you don't feel like you're being able to practice your craft, that's a big problem, right? Because that means that you're going to get burned out and that you're 
the organization is doing something that is causing you to be, feel this way. So by bringing that up, by giving that feedback, um, you give the organization the opportunity to help you, mm. right? And I think too few people do that. And that goes from even the same with, with when somebody upsets you. You're giving them feedback in a loving way rather than an angry way. Um, and so we have tools to be able to do that. Um, you know, very simple models that I found from managertools.com. Um, feedback model, it's amazing. It lets people stay engaged and keep keep happy in the game much longer than they otherwise would be. Perfect, very good. So it's pretty interesting. You use so much of tools. Like, what are the basic tools that you normally use uh, in a you know in a day to day uh, life of your uh, agency business? Yeah, we use I mean twenty different things. I mean, we obviously use Slack, which mm-hmm. you know we have to make tools to keep Slack from becoming you know kind of consuming everybody and and causing them uh, to lose their piece of or lose their mental space, right? Because it it can become this urgency addiction tool. Um, we use Skype for mm-hmm. video conferencing. We use um, a lot of internal tools that we've developed uh, to help with estimation and uh, resource planning and uh, keeping tabs on the team, like how everybody, what everybody's working on in, at a given time. We use Jira for project management and Basecamp sometimes. We use the Google Suite, so Google Docs, all that stuff. Um, I mean, I could go down. We 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 use 20, 20 30 different you know, tools uh, to do our work. Oh, cool, very good. Okay, uh, that's like, you know, a lot of information. Quickly, I want to kind of understand that, uh, you know, if I have to, if you have to say one biggest success that you have kind of seen with a customer, mm-hmm. what would that be? Can you share some example? Yeah, so we worked with a, um, uh, a company that came to us with a, a problem um, streamlining their, their back-end processing, huge company. And um, by working with them to implement a tool that streamlined that, they were able to save in the subsequent quarter $2 million from an investment of $50,000. So they, they crunched all the numbers. They spent 50 grand, they got $2 million. And we've gone on to do that repeatedly with them. Um, and you know, we, they just always have work for us. But that to me is a huge uh, success because we were able to use some cutting edge open source technology that this company was not used to working with. They're used to working with these really clunky, you know, old, uh, you know, 90s era uh, monolithic software tools. And by doing, by pivoting fast and working with the team, we're able to have that success. Um, and you know, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling to make something and craft something and see that it's it's making a real material difference in the world um, for your clients. Absolutely, I'm very good. Okay, and any any failure stories that you have? Oh man, I'm a, <laughs> as you can tell, I'm I'm kind of a, I can talk for 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 hours about the various stories that I have, but um, I think I I think I covered probably the most important ones. I'll I'll spare your audience the, the tangents. <laughs> All right, cool, no problem. Uh, okay, so uh, I guess uh, we pretty much covered uh, most of the questions which I had, and uh, it's a, it was a kind of a pretty deep session and a lot of uh, insights uh, you have actually given today. Pretty interesting. Uh, so, what are your future plans now? Yeah, so um, I mentioned that Ricochet is at the size that we want to be at, more or less. I mean, uh, any any increase in size that we make is going to come from a business need that we have. So, for instance, when we decided that we wanted to have a business development person. They're not billable, so we've got to increase our billable hours a little bit to be able to afford that person. Mm. Um, and I think that's a lot different than how most businesses react to business is they try to gear up to handle that. 
And I think that's a really toxic thing because by the time you're comfortable with the size you're at, you're already a different size, right? So I like being at the size we're at because now we have revenue and profit to be able to reinvest into our um, Ricochet Labs, which is where we incubate our product ideas. So most agencies I've gathered want to develop products as well. But they're, it's really hard because their model is geared towards making that almost impossible because they've always got more work and then they're always uh, scrambling to feed that billable beast and they're never mm. able to actually put the mental space into products. Mm. And then the flip side, when work slows down, all these people scramble onto you know, product ideas, but it's in such a mad rush that nobody can be thoughtful about how, how they're actually developing that work. And it's, it's kind of feast or famine, right? It's, it's like drought to all of a sudden gushing rivers of, of work. So um, what our plan is, is, and we're already working on this, we've got one product that uh, is kind of coming out of stealth mode now. We're, 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 uh, we just took it from kind of an internal product to now its own branding. Uh, it's in the security uh, vertical. Mm -hmm. And we're going to push forward on that. I think one of the, I, I've kind of realized that the key to success that, that I've seen a lot of people uh, fail at is consistently reinvesting time over long periods into iterating and improving rather than jumping from idea to idea to idea um, when you really haven't given it uh, the opportunity to succeed in the first place. So our future is developing products in addition to our services as an isolated thing and then being able to spin those companies off as their own entities and potentially raising money or, or having those be their own thing. And our team has a vested interest in this, this outcome. That's how we retain them so that we don't have to keep growing to give them an opportunity to move up, right? They have a financial interest in the success of these products. Brilliant. So that's our future. And we're working hard every week to make that a reality. Fantastic, very good, very good. And I wish you all the best for that. Uh, and uh, you know, this is pretty interesting, like you know, the way you have started and every process that you have actually put inside to run your whole machine. It's like, I think it's all perfectly working out. It makes perfect sense when you have the set of uh, developers with you, the right mindset with you, why not develop a right idea and build a product and just not yeah. building for somebody else. Uh, it's, you know, yep. why don't we utilize that particular resources and time? Yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, we have all the expertise in-house. Like, why wouldn't you do this? But then it, why is it so hard for most agencies to do? And I think it's because there's some fundamental things that we've got the deck stacked against us. And unless you try really hard to avoid that accidental evil, it will it won't it, it, it's very rare that it's going to succeed brilliantly said very good very good fantastic uh, uh casey today's session is pretty pretty very hardcore and uh, you know it, it's going to be helping a lot of agencies who, who have actually been hearing this particular show and uh I thank you very much uh, uh for you know giving us all the wisdom that you have if people want to contact you what is the best way they can reach out to you yeah, so um, either through Ricochet, so Casey at projectricochet.com, my contact info is on there, or the contact page, that goes to me as well. Um, if you go to caseycobb.com, that also has all my you know, uh, talks and, and articles and my contact information. But I would say, Bali, I'm trying to evangelize this idea of accidental evil because I really truly believe that by understanding some of these principles, it will make the world a better place. Um, I don't, this is not something that I make money off of. I just like to speak about it. I just like to evangelize the idea. So if any of your viewers have an opportunity to do a guest blog or a speaking opportunity or something that where we can help get this word out or they're curious about how accidental evil applies to their organization, really encourage people to reach out to me on Twitter or on, um, on email or however 
so that um, so that I can help because it's something that you know I've I've kind of you know I, I think is really important for us at this point in you know technology and and uh, you know our development as a uh, as a as a society really. Absolutely brilliant, uh, fantastic, and I'm pretty much sure many people will reach out to you. It it, partic it particularly interested me and the subject that uh, you know one of the article that you had in Medium, very interesting and kind of got me into the curious thing. I want to talk to Casey right now. I'm pretty yeah. much sure the ones uh, would be listening to this uh, would be reaching out to you. Uh, you know, one question here: Did you coin the term accidental evil? Because I didn't find yeah. that anywhere else. Brilliant. No, yeah. Very it's, good. My, it's my baby. <laughs> very good. Very good. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Casey. Really, really appreciate your time today. And, uh, you know, we would be kind of doing one more session probably in some other tape, probably, you know, in some other uh, individual topic on accidental evil itself. Uh, I'm pretty much sure. Love you. Uh, and we'll kind of, uh, we'll kind of look in uh, that area and talk further on that too. All right? Awesome. Until then, thank, thank you. you so much, Bob. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. Have a nice day. You too. This session of the Digital Marketing Simplified Show has come to a close. Come to a close. For more information on show notes and transcriptions of this episode, vis vis visit us at Mondovo.com. Visit us at Mondovo.com. If you found this episode worth your time, please do spread the word. Tweet it. Tweet it. Email it. Email it. And share it with, and share it with your network. Do keep checking back for more new episodes. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time.